Good morning, church. We are Josiane and Ruben Spiker, and today's scripture reading will be taken from Matthew, 5, Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake and in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light was dawned, a light has dawned. From the time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Thank you, Josiane Ribbon, and good morning to everyone here. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I'm excited this morning because we are beginning a new teaching series that we're calling This or That. It's a series about what's called the kingdom of God and how Jesus taught about it. What does it look like? What does it mean to be a person of the kingdom? We are going to zero in in what's called the, the gospel of Matthew for the next month or so uh, to encamp and to situate ourselves in this idea of, of the kingdom and what does it mean to be kingdom people. And so that's where we're headed over the next month or so. Starting today with the kingdom vision of Jesus as we find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 12 to 17 that you just heard read. So we are going to start there today, but before we get started, I'm going to pray and invite God to meet us and to speak to us as we begin this series. Would you join me? Gracious God, we come before you in humility and in awe and in wonder for who you are. We've sung about your greatness. We've sung about how you're with us always. We're thankful for the reality of your presence, Jesus, and the reality of the kingdom of God that is here and now, and not just one day in the future. As we begin this series, we pray, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself as a king to us, reveal yourself to us as you are, reveal your kingdom to us, and teach us what does it look like to be people of the kingdom who live the way of Jesus together and as individuals in every part of our life. So come, Holy Spirit, and would you do what only you can do in this room and in this place Entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever thought about the fact that your life is being driven by some picture of the good life, of the life that you want, some vision of that kind of life? Have you ever thought about that reality? That your life is actually driven, driven by some picture that you've been handed down from your parents, from your grandparents, some picture of the life that you want, that you've taken on from, from the world around you, from culture or the family you grew up in or the people you do life with or uh, some kind of life or vision of the good life that you have in your mind. You might be aware of it or it might be operating under the hood of your consciousness, but all of us have this reality at play in our lives because we're human, is that we have a vision and a picture in our minds of what the good life is, of the life that we want. And that vision or picture, whatever it is, is driving how you live in the world. 
It's, it's driving how you live in the world. So if your vision is to accumulate wealth and to have influence, it's going to drive how you live your life. If your vision is of a certain lifestyle or having a certain kind of family or a job or, or, or you're going to stand up to injustice uh, as a way of life, that you're going to fight the darkness in the different parts of the world, then here's what happens is you're going to make certain choices. You're going to arrange your schedule in a particular way. You're going to spend your money and your time and your energy saying yes to some things and no to others, all because you have this vision of the life you want, both for yourself and for the world, and you will make choices that are determined by the vision or the picture that you have. Also, your vision can come to life. And the point I'm making is that the vision you have impacts your life and the way you live. The vision you have and the picture that you have for your life impacts the way you live and how you live. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually just a human thing. See, to be fully human in this world, you need a vision to live for and you need a way to live so that that vision can come to life for you and for the world around you. To be human means you need a vision. And so as we begin this series, I want to put a question before you and ask, what vision is driving your life? What vision is driving your life? And as you think about that for a few moments, as we begin this series, I actually wanted to suggest to you that if your vision is not attached to the kingdom vision of Jesus, then your kingdom vision is too small, or your vision is too small. If your vision for your life is not attached to the kingdom vision of Jesus, then your vision for your life is too small and it ultimately will not get you the kind of life that you ultimately want. See, even if your life is aimed at good and important things, we are only fully human to the degree that we have adopted and are living out of the kingdom vision of Jesus. And look, for many of us, what Jesus called the kingdom of God or what you heard in the text, the kingdom of heaven, they're the same thing. For many of us, the kingdom of God is an enigma. We're maybe not as familiar with it as we should be because if you want to follow Jesus well, you need to know that the primary and most powerful message that Jesus had was about the kingdom of God. That in some way, shape, or form, everything Jesus did in his life and in his ministry and in his teaching was an expression of this thing called the kingdom of God. And if that's the case, which it is, then we need to become more familiar with this king and the kingdom that he is talking about. And that's what this series, this this or that series, is ultimately about. It's about the kingdom vision of Jesus and how you and I, how we can know what it is and adopt it and align our lives to it in such a way that we join Jesus in bringing heaven down to earth in greater ways. That's what this series is about. So the next month or so, what I want to do is invite you on a journey to learn the way of the kingdom. To learn the way of the kingdom. And today we're going to begin by starting with the kingdom vision of Jesus. And right away in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in the new, part of the, the new Testament part of the Bible, right away from the very first verse, we are hit with this, that the first thing you need to know about the kingdom vision of Jesus is that it has to do with a king. From the very first verse, Matthew brings us face to face with this king saying these words in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And right after this, Matthew is going to then trace the family line of Jesus. He's actually going to go back 42 generations to a man named Abraham where his family line begins. And he's going to trace the family line of Jesus through this genealogy all the way through 42 generations to the moment when Jesus the Messiah, God became human in Jesus and entered history as history's Messiah. For Matthew, the arrival of Jesus in history was a this or that moment for the entire world. That it was a moment that signaled that there was a shift happening from one age of history to another, and it put us in a position to respond. Now, Matthew hints at this with that word genealogy in verse 1. And I know that this morning when you woke up, you said, I cannot wait to go to church and learn about genealogies. I know you were so excited. Like, I, I, I know that you're like, I can't wait to get there and hear David talk about genealogies. I know it's a bit nerdy, but we're going to unpack this word very briefly and just go with me because it's, it's important. So that word genealogy in verse 1 means Genesis in Greek. Its word is beginning, origin, birth, meaning that Matthew is telling a story about a new beginning as he begins the story he's telling about Jesus. It's him saying that Jesus' appearance on earth is a Genesis-like moment similar to when God's presence and God's power unleashed itself in the world when he created the world and everything in it. He's saying that this moment of Jesus' arrival on earth is a Genesis-like moment that mirrors the creation of the world. And you can find that story. It's recorded in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. And there, God creates everything, and history begins to unfold. There, the story of God and humanity begins, and it begins with things being very good. But as you know, if you know the story of Scripture, very good goes very wrong very quickly. The first humans do the one thing that God said not to do, and it fractures everything. It fractures humanity's relationship with God. It fractures humanity's relationship with themselves. Our desires of our hearts get disordered, and we want to take the place of God, and, and everything within us is aimed away from God unless God redeems us. Our relationship with others, our relationship with creation, everything is affected by this decision that Adam and Eve made, this this or that moment. Will you choose what God says, or will you choose something different? But in the shadow of that tragic moment, what does God do? He's gracious. He's a good God. And so he makes a binding agreement with humanity called a covenant, saying that what's been fractured will be redeemed. What's been undone will be made new. I will do this. And the rest of the story of the Bible is about how God is working that out to keep his promise in history. That's the story of the Bible is about. And so Genesis gives us a story of one beginning, and if you fast forward to the first book of the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew is giving us a story of another new beginning. A new display of God's presence, a new display of God's power has broken into the world, and it has to do with this person named Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And when you see Messiah, think king. Messiah is another word for king, and so Matthew is giving us the main character of the story, and he's saying, this is a king, and his name is Jesus. But he's not just 
a king. He is the king. He's a royal figure who was a descendant of the great King David and a man named Abraham who God said would one day through their family lines, someone would come and they would rule over Israel and the entire world and they would make the blessing of a life with God available to all people and to all nations. And Matthew, in this Genesis-like moment, is saying Jesus is that person. He is the king and his arrival is the defining mark of this Genesis moment. It's a decisive moment in history, and because of that, the world is now in a this or that moment, and it requires a response. See, there are moments in life that are like this. For example, as Kyle was talking about just a few minutes ago, you graduate from high school, and the world literally opens up to you, which way do you go? Do you go to trade school, college, take a gap year to travel or go to work? What will you do? Will you go this way or will you go that way? Maybe you meet someone and your heart starts doing backflips. Do you ask them out for a coffee right away or do you wait to get to know them a little bit more? Maybe that first coffee date goes really, really well and fast forward some time down the road and you come to this decision point. Do I commit my life to this person or do I wait a while or do I end the relationship? Which way will you choose? Will you accept the job offer that requires you to relocate, or do you choose staying at where you are because it's better for your family? Will you stand up for what you think is right at work, even if it's hard, or will you be silent? Will you make this investment or that one? Will you choose the way that compromises your integrity but gets you where you want faster, or do you choose integrity and you don't get the job? Which way do you choose? This way? or that way. See, moments like these are this or that moments, and they are part of life in both the small, everyday experiences of life and in the big impact your whole life kind of moments, and they matter. Because what you decide to do in those moments impact who you become and the kind of life you're going to live in the world, right? This or that moments matter. They're important moments. And look, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to paralyze you. Like high schoolers and young adults, I know what it feels like to have the world opened up to you and go, where do I go? I have so many options. And to become absolutely paralyzed by the reality that you might make the wrong choice. Some of us experience that in this room. So I'm not trying to scare anybody or paralyze anybody from making a decision. But what I do want to do is bring to light the gravity that is associated with a this or that moment especially when we're talking about the person and the presence and the reality of King Jesus and what he called the kingdom of heaven. Because ever since Jesus arrived on earth, we've been in a this or that moment and the choice that every single person has to make at one point or another is, what will I do with Jesus? What will I do with him? And so the starting point for the story Matthew is telling is King Jesus, from his family line to his birth and his infancy, to the ministry of his cousin John the Baptist who prepared the way for the king to come and to come out of a hidden life into the public life from the spirit of God coming down on Jesus at his baptism and the father speaking words of affirmation over him at his baptism to Jesus' war in the wilderness with Satan and the victory that he won there, Matthew is unveiling King Jesus to us so that when we get to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 17, we will be ready to hear the king's message about the kingdom. 
So let's go back to verse 12, and this is what the story of the kingdom ministry of Jesus launching starts with. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So the context for Matthew 4, for these verses, is revival. Is revival. It's like God has shown up in a powerful way and people are responding. God has tapped Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, to lead this movement and he's calling people back to God saying, repent, like the one we've been waiting for is coming. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the king. And he was leading this movement and people were responding and it captured the nation's attention and his heart and he is thrown into prison by the religious leadership of the day. And, and, and the king, king named Herod. And so in this revival, there's revival stirring. God is moving in powerful ways. John gets thrown in prison. And in the aftermath of that arrest, Matthew tells us that Jesus is now going to pick up where John began, but he's going to take it to a whole other level. See, in John, the flame was lit. Now Jesus is just going to set it ablaze. So here we are in a revival moment And that is the moment Jesus launches his kingdom movement. And notice he does it in a specific place and time. The place is a lakeside city called Capernaum. In this area, this region in northern Israel called Zebulun and Naphtali. And the time is situated in verse 17. From that time on, Jesus begins to cast a kingdom vision. He begins the ministry that he came, the purpose for which he came for. And so you have the place and the time, and this is significant for two reasons. The first of it, first being that God loves to come at a specific time in a specific place. See, in Jesus, God chooses this part of the world at this time in history with this people in this place at this particular time to manifest his presence in the world in a way that was never seen before. See, up to this point, God, who is the creator of all things and has the ability to move in and out of his creation, that's how he interacted with his people. He would move in and out. His spirit would fall on someone for a task, and he would move out. He was always present because God, as we're going to see, is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But that was the primary way he moved in, in the world. He would come in and he would come out. But now, God has entered into The world he created and is living within history in the person of Jesus. He has manifested his presence in a way that has never been seen before. And so in Jesus, God shows up in a tangible way. A way that can be experienced firsthand. A way that can be seen and touched. You can see him with your eyes. This is God's manifest presence. Which is different than his omnipresence. God's omnipresence is that he's everywhere at all times as an inner reality through the spirit of God living in those who believe in Jesus. But at specific times and places, God makes himself known tangibly in an external way where we can sense and know and encounter and engage him. And this is one of those moments, the presence of Jesus on earth. Michael Miller in his book, in his book called His House, His Presence, says this, in the atmosphere of the manifest presence of God, the Lord is tangibly perceived. This experience moves us beyond the theoretical reality of his omnipresence to the transformational reality of his being present, in person, with thoughts, feelings, words, ideas, and actions. This is not a universal reality always happening, but a selective one initiated by him at a specific time and place. And so Jesus, 
is the manifest presence of God on earth. He came at a specific time and at a specific place to launch a kingdom movement in the world. And so what we see here is that where the presence of Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. And it's interesting because one of the things that Matthew does is he ties Jesus coming to this specific place and time to an ancient prophecy that was well known in Israel. So there's no accident here that Jesus launches his kingdom from this moment. It's not like Jesus just opened up a map, he kind of closes his eyes and went like this, and then, boop, okay, I guess I'm going to Capernaum. Like, Jesus didn't do that. Instead, there's purpose. He's showing up at this place and at this time because it was something that God had promised would happen and that this was the place that he would launch his kingdom movement. This is a well-known prophecy in, in Israel. It came out of a mouth of a man named Isaiah who was living in a time that was very dark for, for Israel. The Assyrian nation had invaded and conquered and humiliated God's people. And in that place, Isaiah, or God speaks through Isaiah, saying these words. He says, nevertheless, meaning that even though there's darkness, even though you're in the darkness now, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so in the aftermath of this invasion, in a really dark time, God promises that a light would come one day to bring hope and joy to people living in darkness. And notice, do you notice where it's going to happen? The very place that Jesus is standing and launching his ministry which means the glorious future that God was talking about in Isaiah is happening and coming to life in Jesus. So Jesus is the great light of Isaiah and Matthew. He's the one who enters darkness to bring joy and the offer of hope when there isn't any. And when you're in darkness, that is really, really good news. Like, you know when we had that cold snap when it was like really abnormally cold here for, for, for the Pacific Northwest about a week ago. At our house, we lost our power. I don't know if anyone lost their power. We lost it for several hours, and our whole neighborhood was dark. And it was, it was frustrating because about an hour before we lost it for, for good for a few hours, the lights would come on, and then they would turn back off. And they, they, like, the power would go, and then we'd be like, oh, no, we lost power. And then the lights would come back on. Hope, darkness would hit, and the power went off. Oh, man, this sucks. And then we'd keep going, but the power was lost, and of course... It was right around dinner time. And we got two young boys who started to get hangry. And they wanted to eat. And so we're trying to find food for them because they have hollow legs. I mean, I'm so worried about them being teenagers. Um, but, now, but we had no power. And we, and we couldn't cook food. And we couldn't order because our phones weren't working. And they're really picky eaters. And so they're like, I don't want anything cold that you're going to give us. And so they got a little testy. And in that moment, all we wanted was to be somewhere where there was light. Because you looked out in our neighborhood, it was just all dark. We just wanted to be in the experience of light once again. And both Isaiah and Matthew are speaking to the experience of people who are having that darkness, who are going through darkness, and they want light to come. And both Matthew and Isaiah tell us that the light that breaks that darkness is Jesus. He's the one who pierces the darkness. He's the one who's going to bring people out from living under the shadow of death. Because when we talk about darkness in the Bible, we talked about it in our last series in the, uh, the letter of 1 John, is that darkness is not just the absence of light. See, the Bible uses darkness as an image for a life that's actually lived apart from God and a life that is without the hope that God offers. 
It's the realm of death. And so Matthew is specifically talking to people who are in this place, people who have actually settled into the darkness and have made it their home either by choice or by lack of awareness. These are people Matthew is telling us and that this prophecy is telling us is that they have settled into death and they are living in the territory and the realm of death. They're living under death's shadow and they're searching for life in the darkness. This is who Matthew is saying the light has come to, to the hopeless, to those experiencing darkness and living under death's shadow, to the lost, to the wandering, those searching for life but looking for it in the wrong place. And I'm not just talking about people who do not follow Jesus yet. I'm talking about all of us because all of us search for life in the darkness in some way at some time. See, you can be a follower of Jesus and still look for life in the place of death, in people or places or things that promise life but can never deliver it. See, all of us seek the right thing, life. We look for light. But sometimes we look in the wrong place. And what I want you to hear today is that you are not made for the darkness. You were made for the light. And if that is the case, don't go seeking life in a land of death when you're offered a life in Jesus. Don't go do that. He is the great light that has come to break up the darkness. His arrival is the light dawning on a new day in history. So we had the cold snap, and then we got hit by snow this week, right? Like a lot of snow. Like we went to bed on Tuesday night, and we woke up, and snow was everywhere, and it just kept snowing. And we had snow days, working from home in your sweatpants. This is the first time I put a belt on since Tuesday. (laughs) It was great. One moment it was cold and without snow, the next moment it was still really cold, but now we had snow. A new day brought something new into our worlds and it changed how we lived in it, at least for a few days. But with Jesus, a new day has dawned in the world and from that moment that he arrived, everything has been different. Something new has landed on earth and it is here to stay and it will stay until it comes back in full at the return of Jesus. And that something is what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the sound of hope bursting into the world. This is the sound of a long wait ending. We sang about it in one of the songs. Ever since Egypt and the Exodus, God's people were waiting on on tippy toes for the day when God would come and take charge again and rescue his people. They'd been waiting for that moment when God would make right what had gone wrong in the world. They'd looked for a day when a prophet named Zechariah, they looked for this day that he spoke about, saying, a day of the Lord is coming. It will be a, a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Hear this, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The hope is of a day when God would show up and take charge in a new way and the marker, the signal, the the signal flare that this day had arrived was a king coming to set up his rule on earth. And for the Jewish people, their vision of this kingdom was revolution. 
They thought it was a political and a militaristic movement that would overthrow Rome and would set God's people up in the place that God had said they were going to be in with a king who would rule over the word. So when they hear Jesus say kingdom, they hear revolution, but Jesus means something completely different. His kingdom vision is about heaven invading earth and turning the world upside down. Jesus' vision is of a heavenly kingdom invading earth and making its home here. He's saying the reality of heaven, which is the place where God lives and God rules, has come and is coming on earth and can be experienced in new and powerful ways by anyone who wants to experience it. It's not a kingdom up in the sky where you go when you die, but it's a this world kingdom. A kingdom, Jesus says, is coming to life in the world that we live in. So Jesus' kingdom vision is a this world vision. And the way he talks about it in Matthew is, is constant, like this is his favorite phrase to sum up this this or that moment that we're in, this, this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And so whenever we hear or read the kingdom of heaven, here's what we need to think. The rule of God and the reality of heaven coming to earth with Jesus' arrival and able to be experienced in new and powerful ways by those who want it. That's the kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom turns the world upside down because it looks and sounds and is fundamentally different than any kingdom the world has ever seen or will ever see. See, the way of this kingdom is you don't use your power and authority and position to be served. You use it to serve people. You use it to get down low, to stoop down low, to wash their feet and to lift them up so they can have the life that God created them to have in greater ways. The way of this kingdom is like a small gate, a narrow road that leads to life. In this kingdom, to live it, you means you have to walk the more difficult and narrow way of Jesus as compared to the broad and easy and comfortable way that the world offers you. In this kingdom, you leave behind the old to embrace the new thing Jesus is doing. You cultivate a heart that values and treasures what lasts into eternity over the temporal and the earthly. In this kingdom, humility and service and love are the greatest values. In this kingdom, you rely on God and you build your life on his truth and his teaching and you put it into practice so that when storms hit your life, your life will be stormproof and you can stand up under the pressure of life around you. This is the kingdom vision of Jesus. And each of those things I mentioned are one of the things we are going to unpack in this series to, to, to demonstrate that this is a kingdom that values humility instead of pride, serving others instead of being served, God's truth instead of the truth that works for you, knowing what God says and going and doing it instead of living however you want or what seems right in your eyes. It's a kingdom that values the things of heaven more than the things of earth. It means sacrifice, surrender, living for a vision and a purpose that is bigger than you, that expands to the entire world that we live in. This is Jesus' kingdom vision for the world, and it's here and now, and it has dawned, and a new day of history is here. The king and his kingdom have come, and it's available to all people and all nations for the hopeless, the lost, the wandering, for those experiencing darkness and living under the shadow of death. It's for those who are thriving and experiencing life to the full. There's always more that you can have, more fruit that you can bear. It's for everyone, those close to God and those far from God. It's for the confident and underconfident, the healthy and the hurting. It's for anyone who wants a life with the king in his kingdom. 
And in this series, we're going to look at this vision and how we can align our lives with it and make his vision our vision. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at Jesus' teaching. And specifically, if you look at how Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he would often put two things side by side and offer a choice for the people hearing. He would maybe say something like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Or he would put a broad road and a narrow road beside one another. And he'd say, this is the way of the kingdom and this one isn't. Now you have to decide which way you want to live, this way or that way. And when Jesus does this, what he's doing is he's teaching us about the life of the kingdom and how to be kingdom people, but it's also him casting a vision of a new kind of life that can be lived in the world. And in the end, this is what Jesus' kingdom vision is. His vision is for a kingdom people who live with God and one another in a way that makes visible the kingdom of heaven on earth. See, he wants his followers to be kingdom people who think kingdom thoughts, who choose the kingdom way, and in so doing, we embody the kingdom, and together we pull heaven down to earth in greater and greater ways. That's what Jesus' kingdom vision is. Kingdom people living for the king, living the way of the kingdom. And this reality requires a response. It requires a response. Jesus puts that response before us. I don't know if you caught it in verse 17. He uses a word, repent. 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 The response to the reality of Jesus and the presence of his kingdom is repentance. And that doesn't mean that you just feel bad or you have... Um, bad about yourself and what you've done. I mean, there's, there is a level of guilt that is associated with repentance that is a good thing. But repentance isn't like, I feel bad and I've done a bad thing, and so, okay, here we go. It's actually reconsider your entire way of life. Reconsider your entire way of life. Repentance is a change of mind and direction that results in a changed life. True repentance is a change of heart and mind that leads you to change the way you live it causes you to turn from the way you are going to the king and to start walking in the kingdom way. That's what true repentance is. It means looking at the options on the table before you and choosing Jesus and his way. That is what repentance looks like. And the result of true repentance is you become a new person who lives a new kind of life in the world in line with the kingdom vision of Jesus. So Jesus is saying in verse 17, if you want to enter and enjoy the life of the kingdom, if you want to know me, the king of heaven and earth, God in human form, who lived, rose, and, and, and he died for, for you, if you want to know him, you have to start with repentance. You have to turn from the way you're going to the king, to enter in his kingdom. And if you want to know me and experience life in the kingdom, if you want to become a kingdom person, then you have to repent. See, repentance opens the door of the kingdom and it gets you on the journey to becoming a person of the kingdom. And so today, repentance is Jesus' invitation to us. And he is saying there is no entrance into the kingdom without repentance. He is saying there is no life of the kingdom without repentance and there is no revival without repentance. Remember, the context of this passage is revival. And Jesus is launching a kingdom movement by calling people to repentance, both as a way to enter into the kingdom and life with this king and as a way to constantly reorient yourself to the kingdom and its ways. And so in this series, we're going to learn to practice repentance as a practice to become kingdom people. 
And so as we close, here is the this, the this or that moment put before you. With the arrival of Jesus, you have a choice. You can choose to create a vision for your own life and curate that and cultivate that. You can choose to adopt someone else's vision or you can choose to adopt Jesus' vision, to receive it through faith. But the power of God begin to live into that vision of the kingdom. This is the choice before you, so let me ask, what is God inviting you to turn from today? And what is he inviting you to turn to? Only you can answer that question. It's between you and the Holy Spirit. What is God inviting you to turn from so that you can turn to the King of Kings and start walking in the way of his kingdom in a way that you haven't up to this point? See, the hope and aim of this series is that we would become people who choose the king and choose the way of the kingdom. That we would be formed into kingdom people who live the way of Jesus in the world and in so doing bring heaven down to earth in greater ways and participate in the kingdom vision of Jesus coming to life in this world. That's the hope. That's the aim. Kingdom people, kingdom vision, living for the king. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't stay far off. Thank you that you didn't choose to respond to the first this or that moment in the garden by choosing to just let us go and stay in darkness, but that you decided in that moment, in your own this or that moment in eternity, you chose to come and to live and to die and to rise again, to teach us about the kingdom, to teach us about life as it was always meant to be. I thank you, Jesus, that you did that. And in this moment, at this time that we talked about today, you came and you launched a kingdom movement that is continuing to this day and will continue until you come back and the kingdom comes in full. And I want to start by repenting, Father, Forgive me for the many ways I try to build my own kingdom. Forgive me for the many ways I have arrived at a this or that moment and chosen the way that is not in line with your way. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my self-reliance. Forgive me for using the position and authority I have to want to be served rather than serving. I repent, Father. Forgive me. And I pray that as a collective, this body of people would become kingdom people who get really good at repentance and really good at following Jesus. Help us to catch your kingdom vision and help us to walk in it and learn about it and live it through this series. In Jesus' name, amen. So in a moment, we're gonna sing a song. One of the things I think is really beautiful about the church is... God gifts people to do things. And I love when God gifts people and they use that gift to honor him. And today we're going to sing a song that's written. She's going to hate me for doing this, but I'm going to tell her. Uh, Lauren uh, wrote this song about returning to God. And so as, you can, as we sing this, you can sit there and just let the lyrics wash over you. There's uh, prayer teams I'd like to invite up. Um, and think about that question I ask. What is God inviting me to turn from so that I could turn to him? and his kingdom as a, as, a, as a spur towards prayer. And so I'll invite the prayer teams up. Come, please, and pray. And uh, we're going to worship in response this song that Lauren has written, which we honor you for.